0: This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits, and I'm joined by EPFR's economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. I would be remiss if I didn't point out that we have a, a special guest with us today. Our uh, Lee, uh, the manager of our quant team, Syed Varonian. So, welcome, Syed.
1: Yes. Now it's going to be nice to have a, an extra voice on <laughs> our dog and pony show. Well, let's uh, before we get to hear from
0: him, let's jump into what's probably the big news, uh, at least from a sentiment play. Uh, Euro Eurostock 600 hit a record last
1: week. Uh, are investors finally comfortable with Europe's plan out of the pandemic? Comfortable might be taking it a little too far, but there were definitely signs of thawing in last week's numbers. Um, if you totted up the combined inflows into Europe equity and bond funds. Uh, It was the best week uh, since June of last year. Uh, And there was a a fair amount of good news to to respond to last week. Um, Vaccination rates are reaching a point where you can credibly argue that you know, you really is only six weeks to two months before uh Europe reaches the takeoff point <laughs> that the US and UK arguably are already at. Um but um you know the tensions with Russia started to die down. You know, uh Signals that the troops uh, along the Ukrainian border will be will be uh, pulled back, um, and uh, certainly manufacturing data from the region has been uh, surprisingly robust. Um, so, especially given that uh, Europe has been sort of the focal point for a lot of bad news, it. Uh, is now in the position of being the opportunity in the market. Uh, People have been very cautious about building positions there. This looks like a good time to do it. So is this perhaps uh, uh, the start of a a slow and steady trickle
0: back into the continental European funds? Uh,
1: I think so. Certainly, in keeping with an inflection point, uh, the, the first step has been into diversified funds. Uh, there were very few country level funds where investors <laughs> expressed any positive conviction. Uh, the two that did stand out were both members of the so called frugal five you know smaller fiscally conservative markets um, but I think there 's a good chance that we are going to see a definite uptick uh, and more consistency in flows certainly to mm-hmm. Europe equity funds in the coming weeks so perhaps the other inflection
0: point that I think we 're Maybe seeing, and and I'd love to hear both of your opinions. Uh, the broad movement out of EM funds—it's been isolated in prior weeks, but it, it did expand to a number of the country funds. Uh, what what
1: did you see? Well, I'll turn it over to Syed in a sec. But yes, we saw um, collective outflows from emerging markets uh, equity funds this week hit a 15-week high, and perhaps more significantly, you know, it was more broadly based. Um, in previous weeks, it's been pretty much has, how much money has uh, the China equity fund groups uh, pulled in or seen redeemed. But this week, there were pretty substantial outflows from funds dedicated to Korea, India and Brazil as well. Um, so not surprisingly, uh, you know, given that uh, Europe looks like it might be the kind of star of the show for the next few weeks uh, and the U.S. Is, the economy is likely to run so hot, it does look like a tough environment uh, for EM going forward. Um, but perhaps Syed would like to add his perspective at this point.
2: Yes, I, I will definitely agree with that. Um, as as you mentioned, Kim, um, this this has been um, actually a strong start to the year for emerging markets. Um, but in in the last week, um, since January, on a weekly basis, I think this was um, the, the the first weekly outflow from um, uh, emerging market equity uh, funds, and most of this as was. Uh, mainly uh, coming from uh, China-dedicated equity funds. But as you mentioned, this was also somewhat uh, broader outflows from uh, other emerging markets as well. And the the countries you mentioned um, um, are are unfortunately um, related with a strain of COVID virus, Brazil, India. um, And uh, the the, the reason that we are seeing some outflows is not, I I, I believe, um, surprising. And um, unfortunately, the, the latest strain uh, of COVID in, in India um, is increasing the concerns of investors, mainly um, about the uh, potential uh, GDP growth gap between uh, emerging markets and developed markets and the potential of, to the recovery. Uh, within emerging markets versus uh, other developed markets,
0: and uh, Syed, I, I you mentioned the weekly numbers, but I know your team looks at at these on a daily basis, and and we actually saw a few days in a row of outflows from the group. Is that right?
2: Correct. Um, for um, for mainly emerging markets, uh, in the in the last three days, uh, we we have seen. Uh, Uh, really strong outflows from emerging market equity funds. And this was, compared to other daily numbers, this was almost um, the strongest three-day streak um, compared to other um, days uh, year-to-date. And as I said, this this was mainly uh, driven by Chinese equity funds, but that was also uh, a broad-based outflow. We we have seen outflows from other uh, single-country mandated emerging market equity funds.
0: Kim, would you would you tend to agree with Syed's perspective that it, it may be tied to
1: these emerging strains? Certainly, what I've been picking up from uh, fund manager reports and, and and podcasts that I've been sitting in on is that uh, yes, it is COVID related, but the connection is. Uh, it goes more through policy channels than just fear that uh, people will be locked up again, um, especially in the case of Brazil. Um, e- earlier on this year, even when the COVID numbers were surging, uh, Brazil equity funds were getting fresh money, and part of the rationale – well, there were two rationales. One was that we, the world's economy was going to rebound, therefore much stronger demand for Brazilian commodities. But the second was that, the you know, the undoubted social and economic damage done by the rather haphazard policies there would actually force the, the year Bolsonaro's administration uh, into conducting more economic reforms. Uh, you know, if they really want to get out of this mess, there's a fair amount they could do in the policy field. Uh, but recently, the narrative has changed, and I think this applies a bit to India as well, uh, that... Because of the mismanagement, uh, and that's a, a sweeping term, uh, we, we don't actually have to make policy um, of the of the pandemic in those two countries. Uh, The uh, ability of the administrations to pursue reforms, which usually have political pain points, has been reduced. So uh, I think that more than the absolute COVID numbers is what's at play here.
0: In all of our conversations, Cam, I I don't think we've mentioned a top five economy yet this year. And if we did, it was in passing. Uh, So I, I would love to hear from both of you. Have investors forgotten about Japan? It's been a very quiet start to the year for, uh, what is it, the third largest economy in the world. Um, so what's going on? Is is there is that a sentiment player or is it just the the squeaky wheels gotten the oil elsewhere?
1: This is a, a good topic uh, because Japan uh, remains a very key cog in the global economy. Um, and I think, uh, you know, It's uh, one of these cases of sort of multiple issues rather than one single uh, issue. Um, The two two things I would focus on are, well, the main one, honestly, is that there is already so much uh, active government policy there in the form of massive fiscal and monetary stimulus that... um, you know the, the classic market signals out of Japan are very muted. There's not a lot of real volatility there, and it's not that. As a result of that, I don't think it's that attractive, certainly for active investors. I mean, you're constantly fighting the bike, the bike, the Bank of Japan uh, in terms of sort of looking for alpha. Uh, and in fact, Sy is, this would be a good point to bring Syed in because he and his team have actually been diving into an aspect of that recently and you know, reached some not surprising but interesting conclusions.
2: Yes, as Cam, you mentioned, this is a very interesting time for uh, looking at Japanese um, equity flows. Um, I think one thing I can mention uh, from, from a year-to-date flow perspective um, if we we'll focus only on um, equ- equity funds, uh, equity ETFs uh, dedicated to, to Japan year to date, uh, we, we have only seen uh, one week of outflow year to date. But if we look at mutual funds, we ha- we have seen outflows um, around um, in nine weeks. So this explains a lot about the government. Um exposure to to the market and and the effectiveness of the policies that that bank of japan is is running because bank of japan is ma- mainly driving the etfs and and hence the um uh, etf flows um in our work um uh, on on this uh, uh, that we recently published um we have looked at this and we have first identified the overall impact um, of the um, Bank of Japan's uh, ETF buying program on Japanese stocks, currently uh, more than seventy percent of the um, ETFs uh, and are are being owned by uh, Bank of Japan, uh, and um, th- this also transforms a, a very larger portion of the market cap um, freely available to investing for for uh, for investing for Japanese and uh, foreign investors so th- they are the bank of japan is kind of uh, the biggest investor in in japanese equities at the moment and that is also affecting uh, the individual stocks performances that's why we, we we put out in in our work um, there's a consistent premium um, that is arising from this Bank of Japan's involvement into the market, and stocks with higher involvement tends to perform uh, better returns and, and lower volatility.
0: Do we think that that continues to impact the market then through the remainder of the year? I mean, it's it's not like they're going to be unwinding their positions in any any foreseeable future, or are they?
2: yes um, uh, th- there is no expectation of any any unwinding for for the short term and go- going forward um the the increased um, activity of of bank of Japan is um, is affecting uh, and helping in to decrease the volatility in in most of the stocks uh, i believe um there was a very interesting um, you know um, market movement for example in the US uh, on on game GameStop. And and, uh, stocks like that stock, um, and that was mostly uh, related to, you know, the ownership structure of the stocks um, in in, in the US. But in Japan, the ownership structure, as I mentioned, for most stocks at at least, is uh, somewhat held by Bank of Japan. And that that is affecting the uh, performance of both the market and the individual securities.
0: So maybe it's not exciting enough for... Uh, the rush of investors that we're seeing elsewhere who are clamoring for uh, inflation-protected bonds around the world. Um, Cam, Syed, what do you and the team have uh, that you'll be looking into over the upcoming week?
1: Two things that I know we'll be focusing on a bit more. um, Our hedge fund uh, coverage has grown steadily in, in recent years, Uh, And on top of that, we've uh, entered into a partnership that has further expanded the database. Uh, We expect that merged data to be available to us next week, and we'll be starting to dig into that. Uh, And we also continue to take a look at this broader question uh, of whether the uh, global reflation will be a short-lived stimulus-fueled rebound or lay the foundations for a more sustained recovery that uh, you know, takes us through the current decade. Um, and of course, I think there are a few sort of more focused um, quantitative initiatives that Syed is shepherding along as well.
0: Great. Well, thank you both. Thank you, Syed, for joining us this week. Yes. Uh, look forward to uh, speaking next Monday. Good. for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com/podcast.